our goal is that our corn plant, our bean plant, whatever plant we're growing, never, ever has a bad day. Global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Merry Christmas. Rod here at A Better Way to Farm, where we increase yields and improve profits. And we just love the Christmas season. We do our 12 days of nutrients on a regular basis here every year. And as you guys know, I throw away my notes when I'm done because I want to do the digging and do the research and see what I can come up with and make it new and make it more relevant and see how much additional value we can bring. Today, we're going to talk about phosphorus. Now, guys, if you enjoy what we're doing, I would ask you to share this with a friend. So thank you for tuning in. We love this season and everything about it, and I hope you do too. I want to start today by talking about phosphorus, and we're going to take off from the uh, sheet here that we have on the roles of the 16 essential nutrients in crop development. Speaking of phosphorus, it's involved in photosynthesis. It's important in respiration. It has to do with energy storage and transfer. It's very important in cell division and cell enlargement. Adequate phosphorus promotes early root formation and growth. It improves the quality of fruits, vegetables, and grains. It is vital to seed formation. If you happen to have a crop that goes through the winter, it helps the plants survive harsh winter conditions. Adequate phosphorus obviously increases water use efficiency, as does every other crop. And then it hastens maturity. And so that's kind of an important thing. And guys, I, at our two-day fundamentals of agronomy that we're doing, we're going to talk a lot about what we have to do in order to have adequate phosphorus in that plant throughout its growing. You know, it, right at the beginning, day one, it has enough phosphorus right out of the seed. Somewhere on down there about V, I don't know, V8 or day eight, I'm sorry, day eight, you're probably going to be getting enough out of a high testing soil, but you've got some time frame in there where that's not the case. And so we want to talk about how it is that we're going to do that. I'm going to start here with the Western Fertilizer Handbook, and I want to be ever mindful, guys. We spend all this time, the industry basically only talks about the big three, NPK, and we talk about the big three, plus we do the secondaries and we do the micros. But I think we should pay homage to what's really important, and that is we realize that carbon Hydrogen and oxygen are actually the biggest three nutrients that come in, and we want to make sure we're doing everything we can to get adequate amounts of those. What are the symptoms of a phosphorus-starved plant? Would be small growth, spatially poor root development, a very spindly stalk, delayed maturity, purple discoloration to the foliage, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute, and a lack of or poor fruit and seed development. I want to talk a little bit about it being purple. One of my pet peeves is is that someone's corn comes up and they, it grows, it turns purple. And, of course, they call their seed person because, you know, that we want to blame the seed guy, right? And I'm not saying we shouldn't sometimes, but not in this case. And uh, he sends out an agronomist, and the agronomist comes out and he goes, yeah, your corn was phosphorus deficient. That's why it's purple right now. But then they give you that killer phrase that just drives me crazy. But it will grow out of it. Guys, we cut down a tree in our front yard here a few years ago. It was 24 inches at the base. We cut it off. Did you know the next spring it put a shoot up coming out of that stump? See, that tree was going to grow out of it. But the problem is that tree had already lost a lot of yield potential, if you will. And that corn, as we go looking through here, somewhere in my studies, I believe it said that it was... I'll correct this later, maybe, but it, I think it was either 8 or 16 bushels that was lost 
If you see purple, period, end of story, the minute you see it, that's what happens. It's gone. And guys, we want to talk about, as we know, I've alluded to this, I've talked about it, we're going to continue to beat this drum. But the fact of the matter is, adequate boron is critical to having adequate phosphorus in our plant. Why is that? Well, because we know that we have to have adequate boron in order to have adequate phosphorus in there because the boron is what feed the mycorrhiza bacteria and those little devils are the ones that provide the phosphorus availability into the plant. This uh, author here talks about in 15 year studies, even if the use of commercial nitrogen is ceased, the mycorrhiza will not come back until the boron has been increased until a toleration point. Once you get your boron back up where it's supposed to be, then you can bring back your mycorrhiza fungi. And I just want to encourage you guys that that's kind of a big deal, that we want to make sure we're getting that dialed in and having our boron levels where they should be so that we can have adequate phosphorus in our soil. As we go through here and we start looking at all the different things that impact phosphorus, one of the big ones is placement. You know, it's important to understand all the things that come with the importance of placement. So let's go to the fertilizer handbook put out by the Dry Fertilizer Institute and grab some things out of here and see what they have to say. Starting on page 35, for such reasons, a crop seldom recovers more than 15 to 20 percent of the directly applied phosphorus fertilizer. And so when we understand when we're broadcasting that, about 80 percent of that phosphorus does not get into that plant that first year. And they say, well, that's just like money in the bank. Yeah, if you want to get 1 percent interest, because that's what you get next year, you get a 1 percent return on that. So when you put on $100 worth, that means you're going to get $20 worth the first year. And then every year after that, you're going to get one buck. And so I'm not sure that that's a fabulous investment that we might want to take a look at how we can get a better yield or a little more bang for our buck there when we do that. This is talking in particular here about no-till. Number one, since phosphorus reacts very quickly with calcium, iron, and aluminum compounds, it only moves a short distance, less than one inch, less than one inch from the point of application. Phosphorus from surface applications does not penetrate the soil to any appreciable difference and will be more subject to positional unavailability when the soil surface is dry. Guys, if we're no-tilling and we're spreading nutrients on top, we probably got a really high phosphorus level on that top inch, okay? But we may not have very much in inches four through six. And we've got to be putting that down there where those roots can get into it and we can make a significant difference with that. And for no-tillers, row placement is really, really, really important. Speaking of polyphosphates, and we'll get into that here just in a little bit, polyphosphate, one of the main constituents of polyphosphate-containing fertilizers, reacts with calcium, ammonia, magnesium, and potassium, and it produces a complex series of materials. Although the phosphorus compounds present in liquid or solid ammonium polyphosphate, which would be like a 1034, are readily soluble and are an excellent source of phosphorus, their soil reactions with calcium can very quickly produce relatively insoluble, unavailable products. It's important to realize here as we read on through here that a plant will only take up an orthophosphate ion. I want to talk about poly versus ortho for a minute. When we do that, here's the thing. I just want you to picture a log chain, okay? And that log chain's got a whole bunch of links that are put together, right? And they're all tied together. That's a polyphosphate. An orthophosphate ion would be the single link by itself. It would be a series of single links that are not connected, okay? And the plant will only take up 
the orthophosphate. And we say, well, it breaks down. Yes, it does. And actually, if your soil temperature gets to 125 degrees, you can actually get about a 60 to 80% breakdown of that. However, it breaks down very slowly, about 1% a month on the average. And so therefore, those that is not a, a great choice to be coming on. So we want to make sure that we're putting on an orthophosphate so that it can get into that plant right off the bat and we can be meeting that early need because what we don't want is we don't want that plant to be purple. Our goal is that our corn plant, our bean plant, whatever plant we're growing, never, ever has a bad day. And so we want to make sure that we take care of that. They come back again and hit in this handbook. They talk about positional unavailability. In order to be positionally available, row application close to the seed provides a high nutrient concentration for quick, rapid growth. Deep band placement of nutrient may also alleviate positional unavailability. But by doing that, by putting it in the seed trench, we're not so dependent upon moisture. As it dries out, guys, we're going to talk a lot about going through here about how do we drought-proof our crop. We don't put on a lot of potassium chloride. We don't overuse nitrogen. We use the right micronutrients, okay? And one of the things we have to do is make sure that our phosphorus is placed in a way that it's not totally dependent on a bunch of moisture because sometimes we don't seem to be getting that bunch of moisture. It's important to understand that pH plays a huge factor. We've got to make sure we have it where it needs to be. You know, anywhere where we have a pH of 6.2 to 6.9, we get the least amount of tie-up. Once we get below 6.2, phosphorus tends to react very quickly with the iron and the aluminum and become tied up. We also know that when the pH is 7.5 and up, we end up with some uh, real situations. You know, it's not uncommon. I drew a sad face here. I look at a lot of soil tests where their pHs are 7, 8, 8, 2, 8, 5, whatever they might be. And when they do that, what happens is they end up, I see a P1 reading, you know, your available P, immediately available, 7, 8, 9 parts per million, which is low. And then I see a P2 reading maybe 80, 90, I've seen it up to 120 or 125 parts per million. So the mindset of most of the nutrient salesmen is your P1 level is terrible. You need to put on a whole bunch of dry product. And what happens the minute you put that dry product on, that calcium grabs a hold of it and renders it unavailable. Now, it will come back a little bit later in the year. But guys, if you're fighting high pH, and orthophosphate is your friend when you put that baby in the seed trench because that voids the tie-up and gives that product an opportunity to get into that plant. You know, it's funny. We're going to talk about here again as, as we do this at the training about the ideal levels all the way through. And if you're interested, guys, we'll talk to you about how it is you get those and sustain those. Just like nitrogen, high phosphorus levels will induce a zinc deficiency. Remember we talked earlier that but the three things that really need to go in together are nitrogen, phosphorus, and zinc. And if we put in too much of one of them, it's at the expense of something else. And in particular, high phos levels can really create an imbalance. We know that with our soil testing, that when we see a P1 test above 25, or we see a P2 test above 50, or both, we need immediately, we need to add zinc, regardless of what the zinc level is, because we know we're going to get a response there going into Midwest Labs. And guys, you can download this Midwest Labs handbook for free. Just go to MidwestLabs.com. You can buy the book for like 10 bucks, and it's a great book. You can re download it for free and stick it in a three-ring binder if you so desire. But starting on page 23, again, it comes back into plants take up phosphorus primary in the form of ions of ortho or dihydrogen phosphate, which is H2PO4. The difficulty is supplying enough of this in the available form 
because the reactions of the soils tend to make water-soluble phosphates into water-insoluble phosphates, thus adding to the reserves which are not available. Acid soils containing excess iron and aluminum and basic soils containing excess calcium cause a chemical com recombination of acidic available forms or water-soluble phosphates. So all of a sudden, those two things make it way less available. In addition to the addition of phosphorus to the soil has a threefold purpose. Number one, to furnish an active form of the ingredient, an active form of phosphorus as a starter fertilizer for immediate stimulation. Number two, to provide a continuing supply of the available phosphorus for the entire growing season. Again, I talked about having it available throughout the season at the right amount. And number three, to assure a good reserve of supply of phosphorus in the inorganic or mineral, the organic and the absorbed forms. Guys, again, they're going to hit this. It is a well-known fact that most crops get 10 to 20% of their phosphorus requirements from this year's current fertilizer application. The rest has to come from the soil. And we can do a little better than that if we apply the pea in a band next to the plant. Again, they, just, they come in here and they just pound on banding. Banding puts a readily available pea source in the root zone. It is superior to broadcasting, especially on cold soils. Banyan is also desirable for soils low in available phosphorus due to fertility or fixation. Soils with high phosphorus levels require only maintenance application, which can be made by this method, especially on cold, poorly drained soils, where short season crops or small grains are grown. Band application can be made at seeding, slightly to the side and below the seed, with tillage equipment such as a field cultivator or a strip tiller. It can also be applied, guys, in the trench if you're using the right product. And so we want to realize how it is we're going to get that phosphorus where we want it, when we want it. Under calcareous or alkaline conditions, in other words, high pH, to prevent fast tie-up, we want to use banding of the fertilizer near the side or slightly below. Weak starter solutions are also of value. What they're saying is they don't really care what you do, but they want you to put some starter on regardless. Just apply some so that we can make a difference. I talked to a guy, someone called me yesterday, and he talked about the fact that he's read this hands-on agronomy by Neil Kinsey several times, and that he reads in it all year long and just keeps running back through it. And so it's very interesting to me that there's a whole bunch of people out here who are looking and studying and, and trying to do the right things. You know, Kinsey was, he studied under Albrecht at Mizzou, and those guys were way out in front of their time. They knew a lot of things that a whole lot of other people should be paying attention to, but maybe weren't necessarily doing it. This is the quote I alluded to yesterday. I'm going to read it today. Facts about fertility are not highly rated in importance for most fertilizer companies, it seems. If you attend a two-day industry-sponsored fertilizer conference, you will perhaps hear two lectures on fertility. They will tend to concentrate on new accounts, keeping old accounts, keeping up with the receivables, and the rest is how to meet government regulations. I thought that was interesting, guys. When we get together for our two days, we're just going to talk about fertility. We're going to talk about those things that we can do to be more effective, to be helping you guys do a better job, making more money, and uh, becoming more successful. From the soil up here, if we jump into page 157, and we take a look at what Schrieffer has to say in regards to phosphorus. Occasionally, we will not want to build the P2 level, in a soil condition where it severely locks up, we would instead place the phosphate in concentrated bands while trying to correct the conditions that tie it up. If the soil test indicates that limestone is needed, phosphorus should be banded instead of broadcast, at least until that limestone problem has been corrected. 
Guys, we got low pH. These guys are all saying, we got a band, we got a band, we got a band. And guys, here's the bottom line. I know there are people out there that sometimes listen to these and they're arguing with everything. And I'm going to ask you, just have an open mind. Don't argue with what we got. Take a look at this and say, hey, what can I learn? What can I do here that'll make my operation more successful? Because that's what we're truly doing. I know there are a lot of you that are super successful doing it exactly the way that you are. I would encourage you that perhaps if you could tweak it a little bit, you could do even better. And that might be a whole lot of fun. Again, he talks about that we strongly believe in the triad of nitrogen, phosphorus, and zinc will always function better in a combination than when used singularly. We always believe that nitrogen functions best in the presence of phosphorus since phosphorus is necessary for energy release within the cells. Its adequate uptake during periods of rapid vegetative growth is most important. And so we want to make sure we're doing the right things to have that available that whole time. When that plant's really growing fast, we've got to get after it and help it. He went on to talk about the fact that he was really pounding on no-till, that oftentimes you see that the top two to three inches, they dry out. As a result, it's just unpredictable as the amount of fertilizer that you can get there. And so what we want to do is put it in the root zone, have it banded. He was very forward. He just said, guys, a row support nutrient is applied directly into the row with the seed and the balance of the fertility needs to be placed in a band on each side. With no-till, the seed is usually placed in a less than ideal seed bed. Nutrient availability is reduced greatly in cold and wet soils. And under these adverse conditions, root growth and function are greatly impaired. The function of row support in furrow starter is to assure the availability of the nutrient for the developing plant. And he talks about the fact that in no-till planting, the row support system is a must. He didn't really leave much on the table there to think about. I want to revisit this, guys, because we're well aware of the fact that when we have dry conditions, and a lot of us seem to be fighting dry conditions, but when we have those dry conditions, we are really prone to not getting the nutrients into the solution, and they don't move at all. Phosphorus doesn't want to move anyway. It moves very poorly, normally never more than an inch. And unless you have erosion or you have tillage, but typically it just doesn't move. And so when we don't have proper moisture, then we're really in trouble because now all of a sudden it's not moving at all and we're not getting any good out of that. This book by Stanley A. Barber, Dr. S. A. Barber, talks about the fact that they did a bunch of studies. I'm not going to read it because it was really scientific and very difficult, but, but they I probably would stumble over it 16 different times. But... The short version was this. They did a bunch of testing and they had solution with phosphorus and solution without phosphorus. And they said without fail, every time where they had phosphorus in the solution, the root mass was much, much greater. And so when we can do that, then we're going to hit the right things. So guys, you know, recapping here, we, first of all, if there's something we can do for you, if there's some way we can help you and you want to reach out, do it. Give us a text at 641-919-1206. Give us a call. I talked to a new friend in Texas today. I talked to some new friends in Kansas last night. I got some guys from Wisconsin that are coming to, they're going to come and meet us and, and go to one of our two-day fundamentals of agronomy. And so there's a lot of things going on. We really, really look forward to meeting you guys and working with you. But guys, here's the deal on your phosphorus. We know that broadcast is fast and it's easy. And I will tell you this, that we believe strongly that good and cheap are not brothers. They're not even cousins. We also believe that good and easy are very rarely related.
And so while it may be easier to do a blow and go and put on a whole bunch of acres, that may not be the best way to do it. In regards to phosphorus, if you would like to recover more than 20% in a given year, then banding is going to be your friend. And if we want to try and work on plant health, and guys, I want to talk to you. I know right here on my desk pad, it says in red ink, it is never wrong to do the right thing. And I talked to a good friend of mine out in western Nebraska this week, and he talked about the fact that they don't even, they've, they've quit looking at yield. What they look at is the health of their plants because they know that you're in and you're out. If they have the healthiest plants, they'll have the best yields. He talked about the fact that in 21, it was so dry that it didn't really seem to make any difference what anything did. But he also knew that they had the healthiest plants. Their plants died less. They were marginally better. But in a normal year, they get a tremendous response because if we can keep that plant healthy by providing that right amount of phosphorus through the whole growing season, then what happens? That plant will dry down, not die down. You know, guys, did you ever see a weed not get physiologically mature? Do you ever see a water hemp die before it makes seed? No. But with the way we've treated our corn and our soybeans, a lot of times they die before they're physiologically mature. And then we're at the mercy of the sun and the wind to get that crop dry enough to harvest. What if we let Mother Nature do it the way she intended? We keep that plant healthy, we keep that plant alive, and we get it to dry down that way. And it's a whole lot more efficient, and it's way cheaper than buying LP gas, especially right now. Guys, I've appreciated you tuning in. We look forward to doing day four very soon. And if you do have anything, number one, if somebody post a picture of your favorite Christmas sweater, guys, come on, somebody's got to do it. We're gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and announce it. We're going to pick the coolest sweater that gets posted, and somebody's going to get an Amazon gift card from us. So, Karen, write that down. We want to make sure that we do that. But uh, we want to see some pictures of your Christmas shirts or Christmas sweaters. Guys, thank you for being a part of this. We look forward to coming back to you with another day, and we really do hope you guys are having a better day. A better way to farm. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.